Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. So good to uh, be hanging out with you in this uh, you know, warm space. Um, hopefully you're, you're enjoying the weather. Isn't this the coolest time of year? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Little dad joke for everybody. So uh, now that I've now that I've told the the uh, opening joke, it goes down from here. So I apologize, but uh, well, uh, what's been happening at my house is we have been dealing with batteries because we have vehicles that park outside, and these batteries don't seem to be doing well with. The temperatures and so I have been using my battery charger uh, these last uh, little a couple of weeks and I've noticed something I've noticed that it's good when the needle is moving on my battery charger because if it's moving that means the battery is charging and that a difference is being made my battery is going from you know flat dead to Oh, now there's life. And so I really like to see the needle moving. Um, what happened this week is that I tried to charge one of our batteries and the needle stopped moving. It was a sad, sad day because that meant the battery was absolutely dead. Not even my very nice charger could bring it back to life. So with that needle that wasn't moving and that dead battery, I got to thinking, Uh, Maybe sometimes uh, we in our Christian lives uh, get to the point where the needle is no longer moving, Uh, where uh, we come, maybe we're even doing the routines of Christianity, maybe we're going through some of the patterns, maybe we're doing some of the things that we think we ought to do, but the needle is not moving. Uh, We are not being transformed. Nothing seems to be happening in our lives. We are no longer responsive to a recharge. So... With that in mind, we're going to take a minute and just pray. There's going to be a little bit of an awkward silence, so instead of you listening to me pray, making sure that I'm saying the right pastoral prayer, uh, I am going to just be silent for a minute and invite you to actually pray and ask God to help you make sure the needle will move this morning. Before we do that, I'm going to give you a sneak preview about what we're talking about so that you know how to pray in case... You know, you didn't have anything to to pray about this morning. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you uh, what a great thing to pray for would be. So uh, we are talking this morning about uh, love. Uh, We're talking about Christian love where uh, you become willing to lay down your life for the people around you. And so you're going to be challenged hopefully a lot this morning about 
whether or not you are willing to step into loving action. So before we get started in that, again, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to pray, and then I'll close this here in prayer. So if you bow your heads, and let's take a minute and ask God to help us. Father, we do ask for just that, that you would help us to be responsive, uh, that as we uh, read these scriptures, Lord, that you would help us move in the direction that you would have us move, uh, that you would fill us with courage and strength and faith uh, to respond to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start by reading you a passage from Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 42, we read this last week, but this is the first description we have of the Christian community post-resurrection. So Jesus raises from the dead, uh, he shows himself to his disciples and uh, you know, quite a few others, and then he uh, ends up ascending into heaven, and then uh, we know the story uh, starting in Acts where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and fills the believers And this thing we call the church sort of began in that moment. And so uh, we have this description of what it was like to be a Christian, what the community looked like when Christianity first started being lived out. So uh, let's read this uh, description together, starting in verse uh, 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So uh, we've got obedience in there. We talked about that last week. Um, The fellowship certainly is a manifestation of love, which we'll talk about uh, this morning. And then uh, prayer, we're going to be talking about uh, interceding next week. By the way, it's Sanctity of Human Life uh, Sunday next week, so you can be prepared uh, for that. Um, It goes on to say, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So this is this this picture of the community that Jesus has established. This is the picture of the community that the apostles are teaching and leading. Um, It is one that is full of love. And so uh, we're going to try to just soak in this concept of love uh, this morning. We're not talking about um, romantic love, to be clear. Uh, We're going to see some definitions here in a little bit. Uh, Completely different than the idea of romantic love, although if you are romantically in love, you should certainly be living these things out uh, in your life, but that's not what we're talking about at all. Um, We're talking about loving your neighbors yourself. So, 
uh, to speak a little bit to the centrality of love in the Christian life. Remember, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing to think about as we're you know, trying to honor God and, and live the way of truth? And Jesus says, well, to love the Lord your God, right? That's how he starts. It's, it, it's about loving God. And then he says there's a second commandment as well. It's about loving your neighbor, loving the people around you. And uh, we know from other parts of Scripture that, and, and we'll read some of these today, but uh, we know that loving our neighbor is sort of the best way to express our love for God. So if you really wanted to just pare it down, you might say that loving the people around you, that's, that's kind of where it's at. If you've been in church before, you've probably heard something about loving the people around you. Hopefully you have because, well, this is really where it's at. Um, I'm going to give you some just practical definitions of love from Scripture. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 13. If you've been to a wedding before, uh, you've probably heard this passage of Scripture read because weddings are all about love. And this is one of those passages of Scripture that you know, sort of beautifully explains what love is. But that is not why the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this passage of Scripture. He, didn't, he, he wasn't sitting there in his chair thinking, what are they going to say at weddings? I better pin some beautiful things about love. It's not actually why this was written down. This was written uh, to a church that was having a, a very difficult time uh, being that community that's described in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 for us. They were having a very difficult time with that, and so the Apostle Paul wanted to remind them what love looked like. Now, if you're married, I want to go ahead and encourage you to go ahead and live these things out in your marriage. It's a good thing. But that wasn't the original audience. This passage of Scripture was meant for all of us, to show us how all of us are to treat everybody all the time. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. How are you doing so far? This week was probably, you know, not good on some of those counts, right? It says it does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. Could you imagine? It does not rejoice about injustice, but loves whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Ephesians 4 and verse 2 says, Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So hopefully you have some idea of what we're talking about by love. Now, some of you, I'm sure, wish on Sunday mornings you could leave with the children because they're always doing these fun activities out there. Well, this morning is your lucky day. We get to do a fun activity in here. Although it's not a craft. Um, it's a tea chart. And on one side, it says people who are easy to love, 
And on the other side, it says people who are difficult to love. Just hold on to the clipboards for just a minute. We're going to pass those around, and everybody's going to have the, the chance to um, put somebody or a type of person on that list. People who are easy to love, people who are difficult to love. If you're sitting next to your spouse and you'd like to communicate something to them this morning, this might be a good opportunity. Um, before we do that, I'll just share uh, a, quick, a quick story. Um, when I was in high school, I had a friend whose name was uh, Cassidy, and uh, we were friends around a particular activity, um, vandalism. I have a past life. And uh, we, we like to do uh, vandalism. I'm not going to describe all of our things fully, uh, but uh, to, to give you a, a little picture of our activities, he had an orange Suburban, which didn't help us on the incognito part at all, but it was what we had to work with, and we would get in the back of the Suburban at the beginning of the evening, and that was our, our manufacturing area, and uh, we would get in the back of the Suburban, get our group of friends around, and we would begin our manufacturing. And as we were doing that, Cassidy would always ask the question, who do you hate? Now, Cassidy was from a great Catholic family, and I was the son of a Wesleyan minister. And there we were in the back of a Suburban, plotting revenge on people who we didn't like for various reasons. Basically, any excuse we could come up with in order to vandalize their property. Is your view changing of me? I've matured just slightly since then. Not a lot, but a little bit. The reason I bring that up is because I think that's our default. I think that's generally how we operate unless we have a different understanding of life, unless, unless we've learned to see life in a little bit of a different, actually not a little bit, in a dramatically different way. Maybe we don't do it just like that. Certainly as adults we've learned to hide things behind a facade. And maybe we've matured a little bit and we do these things differently. But there's a a group of people in the world that are very difficult for us to love, wouldn't you say? I mean, some people are easy to love. And you can go ahead and start um, filling that out and, and passing that around, and everybody will have their opportunity to think about people who are easy to love, right? There are people around us, and they're, they're easy to love. Sometimes somebody's so easy to love, we, we marry them. But there's also a group of people who they're very difficult to love because of something they've done to us in the past, because of maybe their personality, because of maybe their socioeconomic status, maybe because they can't figure out social norms, maybe because they're too needy. It could be a variety of things, reasons why these folks are difficult to love. And so... Just go ahead and write them down on the list. Um, 
or the type of person that they are, people who are difficult to love. As we're thinking about people who are difficult to love, I'm going to read some uh, passages of Scripture that uh, I think will probably convict us. First uh, John chapter 3, and starting in verse 14, reads, If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's really the best definition of love. We know what real love is because Christ has given his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God love or how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. God is asking us to make our love real. Uh, we talked last week about moving from lip service to foot service. Uh, we talked about having boots on the ground, like, like actually putting our faith into action. I mean, it's one thing to be part of the military, you know, sort of in country, right? I mean, we're, you're getting your training, getting certifications, getting promotions, doing things, thinking about going to battle, saying that when you go to battle, you will be such and such a soldier, making all sorts of preparations, feeding the desire of your heart and forming character, all of those things are happening. But then there's a the moment when your plane lands in Iraq and your boots touch the ground and you've been deployed. Oh, now things are very much different. Now it's not about preparation or saying what you believe. Now it's about action. Now it's about actually being in that risky situation where you're actually going to be brought to a place of sacrifice and servanthood. That's what God is asking us to step into, to deploy our faith. Later in 1 John chapter 4, Starting in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. So there's something about loving action and, and knowing God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is 
love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. That's talking about experiencing God. This is how we experience God. I mean, I think we all like it when we're in the room and we are worshiping and we are reflecting on who God is and, and sometimes there are sensational moments in worship. But the way to experience God, to know God, is to step into loving action. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Now there's some good news because maybe, maybe you are sitting there thinking, this isn't going to happen for me. I'm just not that loving of a person. I really like living the way that I live. The good news is that as we step into loving action, as we trust God with our lives, we can grow in love. We can be changed and transformed. We can love in ways tomorrow that we do not love today. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. Well, if you have sort of thought, you know, I, I like this Christianity thing. Uh, I, think, I think it's true. I mean, I, you know, as I read and as I observe life, I've come to the conclusion that it's true. And, you know, surprisingly enough, I even like Christian people. I mean, they're generally great people because they're, they're working on being loving, sacrificial servants of others. And so, man, it most of the time, Christians are really fantastic people. I, I like hanging out with Christians. I, I think I'm going to do the Christian thing. Except for when it comes to this loving action thing. I'm comfortable believing that things are true, but I'm not comfortable stepping into risky situations that require courage and servant-heartedness. I don't think I'm going to do that piece. I have some very bad news for you. That is not a possibility. I mean, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, 
that is not a possibility. In other words, this love thing and whether or not we actually do it, well, it's kind of a big deal. It is the biggest deal. Whether or not we are willing to step into love and see God manifested through our life, to see God fully express himself through our loving action. Well, how's your faith? Well, my faith is good, you might be thinking. I believe the right things. Well, let me ask it in a different way. James chapter 2, 1 through 4. James says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? You're probably not like me at all, but I really struggle with favoritism. I tend to want to hang out with people who are easy for me to hang out with. And I tend to favor them. Uh, let me just throw an example out to you and just, just check your heart on this one. Uh, have you ever looked at somebody who is in a wheelchair and said to yourself, I really want to hang out with that person? You ever thought that? Probably not, I'm guessing. Just because, I mean, they could, be, they could actually be the coolest person in the world, but because they're in a wheelchair, I'm guessing that's probably a drawback that holds most, would hold most of us from having this desire to hang out with them. I'm being a little bit transparent here. Maybe you've never thought of that. Maybe you think, that guy's really dark-souled inside. It's possible, actually. Um, maybe, you know, let me give you another example. Um, let's say somebody walks up to you and they have really bad body odor. Are you, is your, is your first thought, whoa, that guy would make a great friend. I bet it's not. And we could come up with all kinds of scenarios where we show favoritism. You know, I mean, I just kind of pulled some weird ones out, but, you know, the typical ones, race, socioeconomic status, social norms. I mean, some people, uh, right, some people are outcast before they get cast out. The moment they walk in the room, everybody knows that guy's weird. Not hanging out with that guy. Right? I, I'm confident everybody has done this at some point in your life. We know this experience. We know that it is our default to show favoritism. Um, James chapter 2, 8 and 9. Yes, indeed, it is good for 
or it is good when you obey the royal laws found in the scriptures, love your neighbors yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Later on in verses 14 and 16, and this is why I asked you how your faith was. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So how's your faith? Maybe we should evaluate our faith by a different standard. Sometimes when people ask me how my spiritual life is going, uh, the things that I go to is, well, well have, how have my spiritual disciplines been? Have I been reading my Bible? Have I been, you know, praying? Have I been, you know, doing my spiritual disciplines? And if, you know, I'm getting at like 80% or so, I say, oh, spiritual life is fantastic. But I'm not sure that's how we should be evaluating things. I think it has a lot more to do with how well we are loving the people around us. And I think the evaluation should be based on what is going on in our heart when we are confronted with difficult to love people. How's that list? Maybe we need to send it back around because maybe you're thinking of more people who are are difficult to love as we're soaking in this, right? You might be wondering, you know, why we're, why we're doing things the way we are. I know I'm not teaching from a passage of Scripture because there's, really there's really not something to learn here. This is more just a challenge of whether or not you are willing to do this very simple thing. And I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, loving people sometimes is incredibly difficult. Um, I remember, I think I was 24 years of age, I was substitute teaching here in the Anchorage School District. And uh, because I don't have a math degree or an English degree, I wasn't given a, you know, very many opportunities in regular classrooms. I was often sent to the special education rooms. And... Uh, I got myself into one situation where I was in charge of a uh, young boy who was in a wheelchair, was pretty much incapable of doing anything on his own. He was um, like pretty much constantly slobbering all over himself. Um, my response to this is, as uh, a young man was... It was not a good response. Um, I very seriously considered going to the office and saying, sorry, I'm out. I'm not going to do this today. Um, I was responsible to take this student from class to class as though he were a normal student when clearly he was not. And I struggled with that. I thought of all sorts of other ways in which our government and culture should be handling this situation, other than putting me in this very uncomfortable 
scenario. Um, I wheeled this young boy into a classroom and God confronted me with his love. There was a young elementary girl um, who, I mean, it, the scene unfolded like a movie scene unfold, would, would have unfolded. Um, it was like this, she was this miniature Mother Teresa. Um, when he came into the room, you could tell right away she was waiting for him. She was watching for him. And the moment he came into the room, she ran across the room to greet him. And she immediately got cloths out, began wiping his, wiping his face, talking to him. Um, he lit up. His world changed. He was, his whole body was just vibrating in excitement. And God confronted me with his love and what it looked like. And he reminded me of a verse in the scripture, scriptures where Jesus brought a child before his disciples and said, hey, if, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, uh, you're going to need to be like a child. And then God asked me if I wanted to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I was changed in that moment. I was transformed. God confronted me at my deepest level and asked me, are you in? Because if you are, this is what it looks like. This is what being in looks like. And so I extend that to you. Those people on that list, I don't know if it's made it all the way around or not, if you've had a chance to put the group of people you struggle with, the type of person you struggle with, maybe a name of somebody that you struggle with. Hopefully you didn't put their full name and phone number on there. Um, but are we all in? Do we just believe that love is a good idea? Do we just think, yeah, it would probably be good if someday I responded and acted in love? Or do we go beyond that? Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, it says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. With genuine affection. We're not just pretending anymore. The world, the world pretends. Even, even outside the church walls, people are, are nice to other people on the surface. What Christians are being charged to do is to go below the surface, to actually get to the point where you actually love people that are unlovable. 
people who are difficult to love. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22 says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. The authors of Scripture are trying to use words so that we'll understand we're not talking about surface love. We are talking about the real deal. So when somebody is, you know, socially awkward, they're outside of your normal sphere of friends. Christians are to run to them, to include them, to fall in love with them, to be full of affection and deep love for them. That is what we are called to do. This is about moving from a life of, of comfort, a life of convenience, to a life of servanthood and a life of self-sacrifice. This is about moving from a life of just being civil to other people to now being compassionate towards other people, where we actually move into action on their behalf. This is about moving from professional to making it personal. This is personal with me now. I am engaged in this person's life. I am deeply affectionate towards this person. Um, somebody that I would put on that list right now are, are these, uh, this, there's this homeless couple at Beartooth. And I eat at Beartooth a lot. You can get great food and great service for not a lot of money. And so I'm there a lot. But it's so annoying to me when I, I'm walking from my vehicle to the door. It's a short walk. And there's this homeless couple there panhandling often. And it drives me nuts because they seem physically capable and they seem mentally capable. I've had some short conversations with them. It seems like to me they could very easily be productive members of society. I've seen the managers have to come out multiple times and waste their time shooing these people away instead of serving their customers. And I just get annoyed and angry inside. So they would go on that list for me who's difficult to love. Um, but I'm a Christian. And I'm called to love people who I don't love. And I'm called to grow in love for those people. To force myself into loving action and to trust God that he will change my heart and my mind even about people that they don't even deserve love. Um, I'm going to read from Luke, Luke chapter 6, and, uh, starting in verse 27. And if you haven't, I'll just give you a warning. If you haven't like, enjoyed the sermon up till now, you're going to hate this part. This is horrible. Jesus says, but to you who are willing to listen, 
I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. You see what I'm saying? This is horrible. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Jesus clearly wasn't, in a, wasn't an American. Because when people steal my stuff, I want it back. And I'm ready to take revenge on that person. Not only do I want my stuff back, I want them to suffer. They should go to jail. Jesus says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And I swear every time I read this, the picture of a, of a, you know, a, a cartel Mexican mafia guy who loves his family pops into my, my mind. I've watched too many movies, I guess. Of course, God is saying, I designed you so you would love your own. Some people get even that wrong, don't they? But that's the natural design. I mean, you have a kid. Oh, man, this is fantastic. I love you. Even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid, then your reward from heaven will be very great and you'll be truly, or you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. If you come to me and ask me for, you know, you're in a tough situation and you need $5,000 for a loan, I would be feeling very generous to give you a loan without interest. And wouldn't you agree, that would be nice of me. By the way, don't ask me for a loan after the service. But Jesus is saying, that's, that's really, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about servant-minded, self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing, highly risky, courageous love. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about love where you trust me to fill in the gaps, to bring about the fulfillment, to bring about the satisfaction. That's an extraordinary level of love. Loving people who are supposed to love is, is relatively dis- difficult, right? I mean, think about a marriage relationship. Even if you're not in one, you can imagine. You can walk through this with me, but you have two people who, like they've sort of studied each other for a while. They've done things together. 
They've probably both ran experiments and tests on each other in order to figure out whether or not they can handle being together. And after all of that, it's called dating, then they have a ceremony celebrating their love for each other. And even in that situation, it gets difficult from time to time to love that person, even though they heard 1 Corinthians 13 at their wedding. They know about it. But then God is asking us to do something way beyond that. I mean, that's just child's play. God is asking us to step into loving people who are, are hard to love. I mean, given the choice, we would never love them. We wouldn't even hang out with them. We wouldn't want to be seen with them. We don't want to be in the same town as them. And God asks us as Christians to run into that and to love deeply, to delight in honoring people who don't deserve one bit of love. Now, where does God get off asking us to do something so impossible? Romans 5 and verse 8 reminds us that God died for us while we were still sinners. Right? He didn't wait until we got to a certain socioeconomic status. He didn't wait until we figured out the right social norm so we're able to fit in in just the right way. He didn't wait till we got our hygiene correct. He didn't wait until we accomplished certain things in life. He didn't wait until we made a series of great decisions that made us successful and, and look good to others. He didn't wait until we earned his respect he didn't wait until we became a pleasurable coworker or a great supervisor. He didn't wait until we became a star employee. While we were the worst of the worst, the most unlovable of the most unlovable, that's when he died for us. And it's because of this incredible grace that he has shown us because of how he has defined love for us, it is because of that that he calls us to respond. And his promise is that if we'll just step into it, if we'll just offer him a small step of surrender and self-sacrifice, then he will move into that. We will know him more. We will experience him. He will motivate us and inspire us to take another step of sacrificial, servant-hearted, risky, courageous love. So, those people on the list, I don't know what you wrote down. I told you what I would write down. Um, well, we have our challenges before us now, don't we? Uh, I remember being uh, confronted shortly after 9-11. I played uh, basketball at the YMCA in the mornings, and there was a, a guy there. His name was Little. His nickname was Little. And uh, he was a Muslim guy. 
and was always promoting Islam and trashing Christianity in conversations at morning basketball. And he continued to do this after 9-11. And I found it very, very difficult not to find ways to abuse him. Um, I was bigger than him in the basketball court. And there are things you can do. There are ways that you can hurt people. Uh, There are some of us who have enemies in our lives that go a lot deeper than that. It's a lot more personal than that. And so God's challenge for us is to love them, to pray for them, to seek the best for them. And in the process, our heart, our minds, our lives will be transformed. Because it is in loving the unlovable, it is in loving our enemies, Oh, that is where we meet God. That is where we experience Him. And there is nothing at all that is better than that. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would mold our hearts and our minds according to your truth. Lord, that you would give us the courage to step out in love, to taste and see that you are good, to make this step of obedience to love the people around us that are so difficult. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys will please stand. Uh, From Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. All right, well, thank you, guys. Have a wonderful week. Stay warm. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.